All right, hope everybody's doing good. We are here today with a writer. I'd say that. A guitar player and musician here in Kansas City, Scott That's right. Lane. How you doing? Rob, couldn't be better. <laughs> Thanks for coming, man. Oh, this is going to be fun. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so we are obviously in a band together. We are. Uh, Dirtgrass Canyon. And uh, you, you and I have had a pretty different musical path i'd say I'm you know very, very uh, much so um how how do you how did you get started playing or how'd that all well happen? uh i kind of lucked out have a, i'm the youngest of a large family and we always had musical instruments around the house a lot of my siblings play or sing so just growing up with it being in that environment helped also because we had instruments around the house you know if i was bored i could just pick one up and just kind of started noodling and uh, really liked it. I probably first picked up guitar when I was, I don't know, 10, 11. Mm-hmm. And I gave it up, I think. It's kind of hard to remember. Then I think about 14, maybe 15, I started pick, I picked it mm-hmm. up. And then it, it really started coming together. But at that time, and what really happened, it, it, we had the guitar and a piano. And the piano was tuned to itself, but not necessarily in 440 time. Right. So the guitar was always tuned to the piano, which was fine, except when we had a re- we still had a record player. We didn't even have cassette tape. Mm-hmm. That the record player mm-hmm. may or may yeah. may or may not have been on 440 time, and so I never could link the two together. Yeah. And so I couldn't play along with records, and it really kind of so I had to get like fake books and kind of learn the chords that way, which was. For me, a great way of doing it. Well, I think I was about 18 when I got my first CD player. And somehow we got the guitar tuned to 440. Mm-hmm. And then it was like a light just went off. I mean, because I could, I could hear it and play it. And it just, for whatever reason, it, it came real easy to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's kind of how it got started. And then it was just very, very slow. Uh, there's no mentorship. I didn't have anybody like mm-hmm. older than me say, "Hey, this is how you need to do it." Uh, everybody just kind of noodled on instruments. Nobody ever really took it seriously at all, or with the with the goal of ever playing out right, for right. people. And so uh, then it just kind of slowly slowly progressed from there, and it's still progressing. I mean, mm-hmm. it doesn't I've definitely not hit the top of the mountain yet <laughs> by a long shot, and uh, still learn. A little bit. I, there's, you know, at 46, there's a lot of things I wish I would have done differently. Mm-hmm. But it is what it is. Yeah. Just like, like what? what, is, what well, is one thing, I wish I would have had a mentor. Mm-hmm. Because somebody would say, uh, a, a silly example may be like, uh, you know, when we were 18, 19, we all wanted giant amplifiers. Mm-hmm. You know, these things were big enough to uh, play uh, Sprint Arena, and you, you had to have a, uh, a U-Haul to haul them. <laughs> It, a good mentor would have said, "Hey, you know, all you really need is just a small amplifier, and it's it's not right. about uh, right. Yeah, yeah. Size doesn't always necessarily matter." Right. And so, uh, <laughs> so uh, things like that would have been yeah. helpful. But I had to learn. I mean, it's kind of funny because even like uh, a microphone, as silly as it sounds, I mean, we didn't have a PA system. Mm-hmm. Nobody right. I knew had a PA system, and so I was. I probably did, maybe did a band or two early 
before I learn how to use a microphone properly mm-hmm. and how I go, right. you know, that's a tool and there's kind of like a, an instrument easier to learn how to do. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until I was playing in a band and we had a uh, female lead singer, very, very good. And uh, I remember she owned that microphone and she really had control of it and she really, uh, that was her instrument. Obviously her voice was her instrument, but that microphone might be her second instrument. Sure. So she really kind of taught me. Well, I would say she didn't teach me just, but through casual observation, yeah. I saw how she did it. And I thought, well, right. that's how you do it. But yeah. it took a while. And that's interesting because I'm in that same exact boat because I played, you know, strictly acoustic style. And then here in the last 15 years, now I've started dealing with all these amps and the mic and, and like, that's, that's a whole, it's a whole nother deal. You know, I Absolutely. mean, it, you know, well, pulling it, off of it or, or dealing with your amps and the, the pickups is a big thing for guitars and, and stuff. I, I call it know. the electronic side of it. Right. And I'm still, I'm not proficient in, in the electronic side. I'm not really that interested in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The most important thing for me electronically, not only does it have to sound good, but it's got to work. Because mm-hmm. if you're playing yeah. live... Mm-hmm. Uh, you want you know when you turn it on you want it to work. I know there was you know years ago they uh, they had the tube amps you know fifties sixties. Mm. Well then they went to the transistor. Well one of the reasons they went to the transistor they just, always worked. They yeah, always yeah, worked. Yeah. And so uh, you didn't have to worry about you know banging mm-hmm. them in a, around in the truck. Well now the tube amps are, are are better especially as far as you know the, the traveling ability. You can right. kind of do that. Uh, so yeah, the electronic side's different, and I, even now I haven't mastered it, but I haven't really studied it either. Right. You know, I'm a not, a not even a journeyman musician; it's a <laughs> uh, uh, apprentice musician yeah. still. And I there's kind of a cost to value issue mm-hmm. that you know how much do you really want to put on the electronic side, right. uh, because. It can't not only get expensive, but sometimes you know it's just the older I get, it becomes comes down to travel ability, the weight. Mm-hmm. You know, right. I like speakers that weigh you know twenty pounds or less. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, at eighteen, yeah, I was glad to haul around a hundred pound speaker, but now yeah, it's now, changed. Yeah, yeah. and uh, you yeah. you said something interesting earlier, and I think one of the reasons musically why you and I kind of hit it off, I think, is that we we both came from a different place, like of our musical taste. But there's a spot there that has really united us where, you know, I'm really always excited about our set list and the kind of songs that you like, even though there's kind of a countryside of, of kind of really old school country that I think you appreciate more than I do. Sure. But there's a whole bunch of stuff like I've noticed with the, the type of songs that you like to pick. There's, you know, quite a bit of minors in there. You know, you and and yeah, you, you do pick a lot of songs, like a couple of examples, Dixieland Delight, sure. Country Roads, you know, some songs that aren't just two chord tunes all the time. And I thought that was interesting because you were you were talking about learning finally at eighteen off of CDs and like it, it's pretty obvious that from the stuff that you like to play, the a lot of like a band like the Eagles was was obviously a pretty big influence on you and oh, many others. You know, yeah, and, that's exactly right. And it, it kills me when we're out, not just with the band, but you and I. I mean, you you drop like you know, I mean, like 
Conway Twitty on me and like all these random like well, songs and it's it's amazing how you've heard all those you know and one thing about music that's changed from when I was 14 till now when I was 14 music had more of a emotional impact mm-hmm. you hear a mm-hmm. song and you're like you know you put yourself in that scene mm-hmm. and you know it's really shows the power of music you know when you know you listen to a uh uh, cowboy record next thing you know you're a cowboy mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of like watching a movie well the older you get you lose that yeah and uh, so now picking songs has always been difficult because do you pick the ones that you like mm. or do you pick the ones people want to hear yeah uh, and so I can't say one's better than the other I do know if you're selling a product and I it at this time, I do believe this, that if you're selling a product, as long as you believe in the product, you can sell that to somebody else. Yeah. So if I believe in the song and I can present the song well, there's an audience for it. And you can get somebody who's never heard that song, mm-hmm. uh, hopefully to enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, but that's, like I said, you, you, I could spend hours just on that part of it because... You know, and I know you're probably going to get into the entertainment side of it, but mm-hmm. yeah. when you, picking songs, I'm trying to say this, when you're picking a song, you know, they want it to be an entertaining song. And if you were a very entertaining person or had an entertaining band, you can still play a song that may not be as entertaining because you have a light show, a far right, machine right. to provide that entertainment. Yeah. But uh, you know, I've had go arounds with several people through the years mm-hmm. saying, "Oh, that song's I don't like that song. It's boring, mm-hmm. and uh, it's not entertaining to them. You need to play something more up tempo. Mm-hmm. Usually, it's play something faster. Sure. Or, you know, uh, but with you know, I always thought, well, you know, if I had the the bells and whistles, mm-hmm. you know, uh, can set the scene. It's almost more theatrical. Mm-hmm. Uh, that they would see that side, but it's you can't expect an audience member to be visionary as a as a musician or as an entertainer. You're the one that really has to be visionary, and you're trying to bring something that. Mm-hmm. You know, is entertaining, and so it's hard to do. It really is, especially when you don't have the right the lights, the, the light, the, yeah, the Gene Simmons know? tongue, and then the costumes yeah. and like all that. You know, stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah. a major uh, the band Kiss couldn't do what they do yeah. at a bar and grill. Yeah. So the and you like, and this is the something with the entertainer idea that uh, we always argue about this a lot in kind of the more the jazz world or the arts artist kind of world where we we all get annoyed with the Sweet Home Alabamas and all those songs. I wouldn't sure. And but I, I heard somebody say that nobody nobody goes to a bar for musical homework tonight. You know, like you're you're playing, you know, in thirteen eight and all these time signatures and you're so artsy, but nobody well, wants their musical homework tonight and you know here's where I differ with you though. It's not everybody. Mm. And you you can't categorize your audience just into one group it's finding the right audience sure yeah and it's putting your music that you like to play in the right venue with the right audience and the great thing about today 
I'm sure maybe it's been like this for hundred years, but there is an audience for yeah. everything. It's just hard to find. Yeah, you know, yeah, if you're playing fusion jazz, well, you know, maybe, uh, uh, oh, I don't know, some small town in western Kansas may not be your best venue for fusion <laughs> jazz. So, uh, well, you always make the, the joke at our shows, you know, about, well, you know, this year when Rob decides that he wants to, you know, make some money, then he becomes a fiddler, yeah, you know, and then when he decides to, you know. And that's not really true. Yeah, I haven't made a lot yeah, of money, but... Yeah. Yeah. It's a great joke. Yeah. Uh, but it, it kind of depends what mood people are in. I mean, mm-hmm. when people go to a jazz show, they know that they're not going to be dancing on the tables. And they don't want to hear play funky music, White That's Boy, exactly and right. Piano Man, and yeah. like, you know. Because you you always remind me of Lonnie McFadden in the sense that you guys are very, in my opinion, less less interested in doing 9-8 and 13-8 and doing songs with 84 chords in them, you know, where you guys are more interested, just like you were saying a minute ago with the, with the show, you know, and the, the, the fact that, because people like a Miles Davis were like, dude, screw the audience. I'm playing this. It, screw it, you guys. It, it and, you know. But I don't know what Miles Davis's highest selling album was. Yeah, uh, well, kind of blue, you know, best selling jazz album of all time, but, but, but still, it was still the idea that there were a lot of people that he wasn't ever going to reach, ever, you know, well, because, because he was just, you know. The, the, the band yeah. Foreigner was on TV yesterday. Mm-hmm. I, I, I Wikipedia then, they sold over 80 million records. Right. Now, I don't know anything about Miles Davis, mm-hmm. but I, I got to assume he, let's just say for sake of argument, he never sold anywhere close to eighty million. Yeah, 8 million. it's it's hard to say. Well, yeah, I don't know the numbers. If, yeah. if you're a record label, you want foreigner all day long. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's right. uh, so that's yeah, and and so that gets into the. Go but yeah. well, I was gonna say, I've only seen Lonnie McFadden one time. Mm-hmm. Actually, I've seen him twice because I saw him and his brother. They were with Wayne Newton. Yeah, at yeah. Starlight. Right. Which I didn't even know who they were. But, Wayne Newton introduced them as, you know, two guys from Kansas City. And they did a, oh, they sung. I think they were playing, well, I think they were playing instruments in the band, too. They are part right. of the band. Plus, they did kind of a, a dance yeah. rap right. thing. Yeah. It, it was really, it was for entertainment. It was not necessarily right. for the quality of the entertainment. And then the only other time I saw him was the Phoenix in mm-hmm. downtown. I saw yeah. the Phoenix. And I saw what he does. He's much different than I am. Sure. Uh he uh, he's going to do what he does. He's probably very consistent. He never changes his. He's he's going to dance. He's going to yeah. you know if there's a t- tabletop he can get onto, he's going to do it. He's never going to have that off night where he's going to yeah. you know I'm just going to sit on a stool and play. Yeah, I will. Right, right, yeah. And sometimes, and unfortunately, I hate to say this, a lot of times it's just fueled by the the crowd. If mm-hmm. I got a good crowd, it kind of brings out you know maybe yeah. a few more jokes maybe off color jokes <laughs> um, and which was really the wrong way to do it Lonnie's absolutely right you should probably be consistent all the way through whether you have two people mm-hmm. or 200 yeah uh, but I am what I am yeah you know? well you you guys are different in that sense where you'll sit on the stool and he'll be consistent and stuff but I would say you you two guys as far as I'm concerned is just an example of somebody who would you know who these people would know is just you 
he's willing to do on Broadway, on Broadway, you know, he's willing to do some of those songs at the Phoenix and in a jazz group, you know, sure. and, and he's, he's, he'll, he'll do my girl, right. He'll do, you know, some of these, some of these songs that a lot of the jazz musicians will be like, you know, rolling their eyes over. But he is very, when I talked to him, he was, he was talking to me about, you know, I mean, you, you can go do your originals, you know, and you can go, you know, have your integrity, you know, and try to, you know, do all this, you know, high level jazz and all this crap, but it don't, don't be mad when you're not making any money. Just don't bitch, well, you know, is what he was saying. And, and I think you and him are, are more aligned than the hardcore jazz people and Lonnie are, you know, it's kind it, of, I guess, it, my point. And I would disagree with them on that mm. because if you're going to do an orig- originals, you can do it. Oh yeah, you know, just just write great, good, great originals. Yeah, he wasn't saying yeah. don't ever do originals. He was just saying if you're going to have this mentality of just avoiding peaceful, easy feeling for the rest of your yeah. life, it's a good song. Why don't you play it? You know, like you know that that kind of stuff. Yeah, and, it, you know, with, without a doubt. Except you know, there's the create creativity element mm-hmm. because it, if you are an artist. It'd be no different than if somebody was making copies of the Mona Lisa. Mm-hmm. How I, let me preface it this way. It, this this might be anybody in Lonnie's situation. They do a great copy or near copy of the Mona Lisa, mm-hmm. which is great. There's nothing wrong with right. that. I get tired of it mm-hmm. occasionally. And yeah. I was like, I want to paint my own painting mm-hmm. and see where it stands. Yeah. But what I do is try to paint one that's original, that's very close to the Mona Lisa. Right. Almost a copy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that's where I, when it comes to writing, that's where yeah. I try to go. Because I don't want to go too off kilter with it. Sure. And, it was in, and then the other thing that, again, I'm just using as an example, but one thing that both of you guys are very good at is talking with the crowd. I would argue that you're almost even better at the, him than talking to the crowd, but talk about that of why you think that's important or like... Well, because music can only do... Uh, that's not really fair because in the situations I find myself in, when you're at a bar and grill, it's different if you're on a huge stage, mm-hmm. and because let's say the lights are so bright, you you can't even interact with the audience. There is no, mm-hmm. uh, matter of fact, that's two different ways of looking at it. Because when you say interact with the audience, when I'm at a bar and grill, when I interact, it's usually I say something, they respond, and I can go back and forth. Mm-hmm. Well, when you're in front of a very large audience, it, you can't do that. Because one you way. Can't, yeah, 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 it's all one way. So yeah. you got to plan your show accordingly. Uh, and I think that's one reason you might see a lot of musicians only play the music while they don't interact is because it is just one directional. What can you say? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that makes it difficult. And a lot of times you really got to choreograph it, choreograph the lines. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's things that are guaranteed to get a laugh. Uh, Set me up there as Ed McMahon, you yeah, know, bait kind of, yeah, you can do that with the, yeah, you know, uh, going back to Wayne Newton, I, mm-hmm. I saw him, it's probably 20 years ago, and he was an absolute master of it, mm-hmm. I mean, he could, he could, he could barely sing, an okay musician, uh, but what he did is he was kind of the, the, the front man, he's got this huge orchestra, and he utilized every member, not only as somebody playing an instrument, but mm-hmm. also their personalities, mm-hmm. you, you know, and it was brief with each person. Sure. Yeah. But kind of like with Lonnie and his brother mm-hmm. where he goes, hey, these guys got other talents besides just, you know, playing an instrument. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
so that's a little different when it comes to interaction. The other thing too is uh, when you go to a concert, they may only play for an hour and a half, mm-hmm. two hours. Yeah. Well, I have to play. I'm there for four hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's a whole, try to be entertaining for four hours. Mm-hmm. Well, the only you can play music, and maybe that's enough. Especially if, let's say it's a, a dance venue where they can dance, and that's fine. But you have to get the audience involved. Yeah. And to me, and what's most fun to me is when the audience is involved more than just listening. Yeah. Where mm-hmm. you can get them going and makes them feel like an active participant that whatever they say is going to get a good response. Because uh, what happens when you don't do that is they sit there and talk to their friends at their table, and that's it, right? I mean, uh, they don't really even get... Cause, yeah. Because that's what you do, is you get the eyes to the stage. And in a couple of my other bands, is that we never had the eyes to the stage, and we turned into, like, background music, which well, there's a... You know, but you, you do a good job. But, and Lonnie does that, too. He gets the eyes to the stage, you know? But, but I think there, it's also not everybody wants it either. Mm. You know, I mean, yeah. I, the, the world may be filled with 50% introverts and 50% extroverts. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. depending on which way you're going, you <laughs> could lose the introverts. Right. You know, they, they don't want to be called out. Right. <laughs> and so you have to be kind of careful. Yeah, sure. The other thing is, one, one thing that I've been thinking about a lot is how you get those eyes to the stage. And, and there's, and I think, you know, I'd be curious to see what you're, thoughts are on this is that there's a lot of different ways to do that. You know, you can do it by a JLo, you know, or, or a, you know, really, you know, hot chick up on stage. That's one way you could do it with the kiss style where you got the tongue and the costumes and laser lights. And you, so it's this, this big production, but, um, another one that you kind of go is maybe the comedy route. And that's one of my, my our conductor at, at, at college kind of did that where he would say all these jokes and because he was so funny, we're sitting here waiting for his joke, but all of a sudden he accidentally doesn't say one for five minutes and then we're still sitting right here listening to him for five minutes. So it was kind of a ploy to get us to look at him and pay attention. Sure. And the the funny thing that's happened with you a couple times is that you'll you'll say one of your jokes that requires them to say something but then you'll get like a mini sort of heckler and, and anybody knows what happens to a comedian when they get a level three heckler as you come back on top with a 10 and like, it's, it's been to. funny to funny to watch hecklers against you because it doesn't usually end well for them. Well, <laughs> comedy, I would recommend, if somebody's trying to do comedy, plan it out. Mm-hmm. You have guaranteed lines. Uh, you know, one of my, you heard me do it a thousand times, oh, there'll be some some lady and I'll say hey do you like to sing and she'll be like yeah I love to sing mm-hmm. then I'm like uh, do you sing in your car and she goes ah, I sing in my car all the time I said well do you sing in your shower she goes yeah I sing in my shower and I'll be like well how about I come over and listen to you sometime and hear how you sound right <laughs> well that's a very clean funny joke yeah. one of my problems is I try to do almost like an improv mm-hmm. and with comedy it's very easy to offend people. Mm-hmm. So you have to be very careful. When you go to like a comedy show, or let's, let's say it's somebody, uh, let's say you went to Richard Pryor mm-hmm. back in the day. Yeah. Well, you kind of have an idea what's going to happen. And you know what mm-hmm. kind of language and the subject matter he's going to talk about. Well, if I'm playing at a, a nightclub bar grill, 
they don't know. <laughs> and so it, it's very easy to offend people and you don't, that's really the last thing I want to do. But at right. the same time, uh, I call it hee-haw humor, right. which is fine humor. Right. But that usually takes a setup guy, a straight man, to pull right. that off. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't have that option. Mm-hmm. So it is kind of, I'm bouncing stuff off. And, and usually I always try to have a big smile on my face. And you know, if you're trying to be sarcastic, make it obvious sarcasm. Yeah. Uh, but you have to be kind of careful because, you know, like I said, they don't know you and they don't realize, hey, this is all in fun. Right. And people have different. You've had that before with some of your jokes where, I mean, definitely oh. the, the, you know, I remember one joke you told and I was just like, oh, oh God. he's like, and, and you're like, that's what's so funny is that people don't understand that it's a joke sometimes. And that's yeah, and you, I, that's I, I, I love deadpan humor. That's right, one of my yeah, favorites. Yeah. And I don't know if I'm any good at it, but yeah. I love it. But I do know there used to be a song, uh, uh, Rich Young Dumb Nymphomaniac. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was James oh, yeah, Bond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Funny song. I thought it was hilarious and right. everything. I, I was playing with the guy who did it, and when he did it, it was hilarious. Mm-hmm. When I did it, it has a lot of a lot of vulgarity in it. Sure, it's, yeah. it's funny. And uh, when he did it, it was great. When I did it, it backfired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because people expected that out of him. They didn't expect that out of me. Right. I couldn't sell the song. Mm-hmm. And then I realized... So yeah, that was a learning lesson. Again, if I would have had a mentor that said, "Hey, you know, don't do that." But one thing I, I really do, rarely do I ever cuss on a microphone. Yeah, uh, you do really well with that. Yeah, it's, I just don't do cussing, that because yeah. I'm I'm always afraid if you start going down that road, yeah, that that becomes your audience. Right. And the places that we play around here, that audience isn't there. And Southside OP, the gangster central. Yeah, out you're not gonna, <laughs> So you know, I, uh, that's one of my. Uh, you, that's something I think to even with the the comedy stuff, I'm always fascinated by how people because I'm really bad at that. Like my the band that I ran was really bad at getting eyes to the stage because we were just we were playing musicians for musicians. Well, you, know? you say that, but and you may not have reached everybody, but yeah. you may have reached one person. You sure. just don't know. It. Sure, yeah. But I think what was funny is when you do go the comedy route, I've noticed that some people who aren't who aren't comics or who aren't somebody like yourself who's been funny their whole life, you know exactly how to go right up to this line and dance on it and then put your leg over and you can like go to this line and you know exactly where the line is generally and there's other people that don't and and so I've seen other guys try to make humor in their shows and it just is dumb because they don't they're not funny and they're trying to make well, it funny you know and I, I just think that's funny that I, I appreciate that, the compliment but yeah. I've gone over the line many times right and I feel horrible about it yeah because. Right. Because then you say one out of one out of a hundred ain't gonna hit at least, yeah, you know, if not more, yeah. But but they're going out. This evening belongs to them. I'm just a musician playing. It's yeah. a, they go out. They're the ones that are spending the money. Mm-hmm. You know, having a nice time, and I don't want to take that. I, I I want them to go home and say, uh, you know, what a fun evening with a fun band. Where I don't want them to go. You know, what a horrible evening because. 
some Yahoo musician could keep his mouth shut. Mm. And so th- there is a fine line. Yeah. How do I know? I think I'm pretty good at it. Mm-hmm. But I, like I said, I'm sure, matter of fact, I know I've offended people. But oh, I've yeah, been told. Yeah. Oh, sure. I've apologized several times. Yeah. Now, I'm not above apologizing. Mm. But, uh, uh, yeah. Well, yeah, welcome yeah. to the world of entertainment. I yeah. know. So you were talking about there's been a handful of songs that you've written that I I think are absolutely fabulous. I appreciate you it. Know? Yeah. yeah, I mean, and there's, I, I can think of at least four or five off the top of my head that we play quite a bit in our band. Um, and one thing that I always, and this sort of gets back to the entertainer idea is that because I, I did two albums myself and that, you know, 13 minute instrumentals and all this crap, you sure. know, and then somebody comes in with a a on the road again kind of song and two minutes it's and I think two minutes seconds, and, yeah. and what did you say 27 times or something he says yeah you I know, came out I think 17 times 17 in a song yeah. he says on the road again and and like it's absolutely perfect you know I mean it's a per it's an example of oh. this geniusly simple song brevity is the soul of wit mm. and and you're I, I think some of yours fall into that category and obviously Nebraska is the perfect example of that where you know chord wise pretty easy but it's just an absolutely awesome song and well, we have a ton of fun playing it but one thing to remember with that too you can write a, a you know what you perceive to be a good a great song mm-hmm. but you also gotta have the production side of it too it's one thing to have words and mm-hmm. a melody it's yeah. a whole nother to have you know whether it's violin horns mm-hmm. or whatever to bring that song yeah. to life yeah and sometimes that's hard to you know to get across like other you know let's say other bandmates you say hey I've written this song I think it's going to be great and they hear it and they go uh, you know a good example I wrote this song that you and other guys in the band think that sounds just like uh, Wonderful Night by no, Rock yeah, and yeah, Rock yeah, yeah. and you're right mm-hmm. but I know that if it was recorded properly mm-hmm. you could it would change it enough to where you'd be like well it kind of sounds like yeah. it it doesn't sound like it yeah and that's that's on the production side and so what makes a great you know I guess if you, you know like I said thanks for the compliment mm-hmm. there's only four or five songs I thought there'd be more than that uh, <laughs> those are the only, I, I, those are the only ones I can think uh, of the, the names of them no songwriting's tough you, you throw songs at me at a gig and I don't know what these songs are you know songwriting's like, tough because yeah uh, what do you think what do you think about when you're writing a song typically well actually I, I don't it's not like I go off into a room, you know, and sit there for days on mm-hmm. end. I actually yeah. sit at a computer, yeah, and I write it out that way. That way, I can make corrections mm-hmm. uh, because phrasing and all that. It's much easier to do on a word program because you can, you yeah. know. Uh, but so, are you doing words then first? No, or, no, no, always melody. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I say, yeah, yeah. The the melody always comes with the words. You know, the word thing is timing. Because a lot of times when you we call it that that music rush where you played all night, you're driving home at two in the morning and your head's just kind of spinning. Mm-hmm. You're probably very tired. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of times when these melodies and words kind of yeah. come out. And you know, a lot of times I'll record them into my phone so mm-hmm. I don't forget them. That's uh, sometimes in the middle of the night when you're sleeping, I, I've actually woken up before and 
go. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm singing a song in my head. Those are great. Oh, God, now i got to get well, out of bed and write those you know? great. Yeah. Uh, some of them I just don't remember, like Nebraska. I remember where I was writing it on a yellow pad, mm-hmm. but I don't know how it ever came about. It just yeah. did. Uh, so, so yeah, yeah, that's cool, know. yeah. Because I know, um, for me... Lyrics are always hard for me. Writing the song Lyrics itself, are very, very tough. melody is a little bit hard for me too. But coming up with the whole flow of the song and the beat and the chords and stuff is like really easy for me. But I always have trouble with lyrics, and and a lot of your lyrics are pretty good. I, I mean, and well, so you know, I was wondering if because I'm always fascinated by because they talk about uh, who's Elton John's guy. Uh, Bernie, Bernie, Bernie yeah, how they how um, they had kind of this uh, you know teamwork thing going on where he'd come up with all these words and then he'd give it over to Elton and he's like okay hold on you know and, but, but at the same time I don't see how that works because <laughs> if he writes something somebody else you know that let's say Bernie wrote something that Elton doesn't like and Elton says you know I don't like that well mm-hmm. then Bernie has to have a sense of you know. Well, I'm sure that happened. Yeah. Going, you know, I can't believe you don't like that. I thought it was great. Yeah. But well, then they go, well, how big's the check? Yeah. And I'm yeah. sure you know the check. But, but my point is that. the what came first, and so Bernie obviously his stuff came. He get, he gives well, out, so he has he has lyrics first, then he figures out music to it, and it sounds like yours but, is com- your melody's coming with the. Bernie, though, my guess is probably a very good musician. Sure. He's probably sitting at a piano, and so. He may come up with melodies and put words, and Elton takes it and mm-hmm. elaborates the melody and right. maybe makes it more, maybe changes the melody. I don't know if it's that defined. Yeah, I don't know enough about their history. Yeah, it's it. it's kind of irrelevant from them, but I'm just always fascinated by what's coming first because I because I, I always I just for anybody, you know, for you or anybody, because mine was always music first, and I'm like. All right, I guess I'll put some words to this, and the words are always terrible because of that. And it depends what you're trying to sell, you know. I and you were talking about country. We've we've talked a bunch about country music is very story driven, oh, and you know, it's are you thinking like in stories in your head a lot for songs or? Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I like a, you know, I like. Yeah, I guess that's very true. Mm-hmm. I like when the song tells a story. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind the, of the, the ponytail one we did last night was very story like. The start uh, and a finish mm-hmm. where uh, I, I really like that. Sometimes the wrong word, not using the right word can kill it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it, it's funny how that works. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I, it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, but I, I learned a valuable lesson one time because... I was writing songs. I never had a band to play out with them. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, playing some of the songs like That Girl from Oklahoma mm-hmm. is not designed for a guy and a guitar. It's meant to have a full sure. band right. it, just to pull it off. Yeah. So I never could do it, even mm-hmm. though it was there. Well, one time, this has been 15, 20 years ago, I I played that song. I kind of ran out of material. <laughs> and there were a bunch of girls there at this bar, and they wanted to dance. So, Girl for Oklahoma, for those who don't know, it's a lot like, kind of like a Sweet Home Alabama kind of sort thing. Of, yeah. You can dance yeah. to it. Yeah. it it's, it, it's a really valuable learning tool because I started playing it. They never heard it before. And two minutes, mm-hmm. a minute into the song, they're singing along. Yeah, yeah. They didn't even know that I wrote it. They probably thought, you know, yeah. somebody else had covered it. And then you're getting that kind of that affirmation going, 
I'm like, wait a second. If they're singing along with it, you can't do much better than that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think that's a lot of truth. You know, you, you try to... Uh, no, I've never sold any of this stuff. I've never made a penny off any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, you know, in your music journey, that just getting validation mm-hmm. from, you know, one person at a bar is all you, sometimes all you need. And yeah. that's, that's really a great place to be. Because yeah. you don't have the pressure of going, oh, I have to sell a million units yeah. or I'm a failure. Well, all I have to do is sell three drinks and I'm a success. It's yeah, and especially when, I mean, we've had this before where, I mean, we'll go into a bar and we'll have at least five people come up and say, you, you made our night. You know, I mean, oh, you, I, and, absolutely. And what, yeah. what's that worth? I mean, that's worth everything, you know, oh, I mean, you know, it makes, yeah. makes you feel great to have somebody really appreciate, even if it's only five people, but, but you like made their night. That's you know? exactly I mean, that's, right. That's a pretty cool feeling. Uh, you know, the only thing I, I wish that, and it's hard to say because, you know, in this year, you just haven't played hardly at all this year. And mm-hmm. so it's hard to build up like a following if you're not playing all the time right. because they're not going to be able to make, you know, if you're only playing once a, once a month, well, they already, might already have that weekend busy. Yep. But the more you play, the more chance you have to build up a following. And before you know it, you know, it, people enjoy what you're doing. They're going to tell somebody else. They tell somebody mm-hmm. else. You can find yourself having a hundred people out there pretty quick, right? You know, if you're, if that works out like yeah. it should. One thing that's been fun, really nice with our band is that I, I think our band is probably sitting very similar to a lot of other bands around. Where I, I always talk about there's, there's the guys that never get out of the basement. You know, they're they're always talking sure. and they never really get to do any, any gigs. Then there's probably the next level where where our band and many other bands are at, where they're they're kind of you know going around different bars and kind of around town. Then you have kind of the festival level, you know the the like uh, maybe um, uh, maybe like where Samantha Fish is or whatever, where they're doing a little bit of touring and they they maybe would. Go go down to bluegrass and get a main stage or something, sure, you know, yeah. and and then you have the Justin Bieber's, you know, the Aerosmiths of the world. But we're in that area, that third, that third to bottom, and we're always trying to get up to that next level. But what's really what's really cool about us is that even though we're you know trying to kind of get into the get into the scene and get more gigs, we've had quite a few three to four uh, yearly gigs now. You know, we've been asked asked back at the um, at the Missouri three forty, and you know, we've had a couple of these gigs that people have asked us a couple of years in a row, and so we we know that something's going good. You know, it's 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 my point is well, it's you, really hard to judge how good it's going. You well, know? that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it isn't your mom asking you to play every you know, <laughs> right. holiday. Uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks, mom. mom. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I kind of disagree with you because oh, yeah. you said that everybody's trying to move up. Mm. That's not necessarily true. Mm. There's a lot of basement players. Yeah. Who just like getting together with their friends on a Friday night and playing yeah. in the basement. They don't want to go play out. Yeah. For whatever reason. And I've met I ran into some great players. Yeah. Who they just have no interest in it. Yeah, I, I uh, met anybody who wants to get higher. Yeah, that's but but that's a great point well, because everybody doesn't want that, do they? That's right. And the yeah. other thing too is the great thing about when you see people who are advancing or you know who started here and they're up here and they go like this it really gives you hope mm-hmm. because you go well boy if they do it 
why can't I do it? Mm-hmm. You know, and then you're then you're going to try to educate yourself. What are they doing different? And you're trying to follow them, and that's so. There's that's a great thing about music because there is a lot of hope. I mean, mm-hmm. there's more music today than there ever has been. Mm-hmm. But there's also a bigger audience for music than there ever has been. Mm-hmm. And it's just, you know, and I've told you many times, you know, our, our problem really isn't, you know, hitting the, you know, the right chords or, you know, necessarily mm-hmm. writing the songs. It's a marketing issue. Mm-hmm. You know, you and I, we know what we can do. We know what we have. Mm-hmm. The problem is your neighbor doesn't have a clue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's more of a marketing issue. And I think a lot of bands, a lot of festivals, everybody runs into this that, you know, it's a it's a chicken and the egg, uh, where you know you, you have the festival. Will the people come? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. there's a lot of festivals that aren't successful either. A whole lot of them. You got to get you got to get the big gigs to kind of get a lot of fans, but you've got to get the fans before you get before the big gigs. And it's like yeah, this, that's it's exactly right. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah. But I think you know my guess, and I've never. I mean, have I? If I died tomorrow, would they say I've been successful in the music <laughs> business? No. Mm-hmm. Because, unfortunately, a lot of times you measure the success based on, you know... Number of fans. Or what the income is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, so, no. But, really, it's just a musician playing. I've been very successful because I get in front of an audience. Mm-hmm. And that's what I enjoy. Right. I never get tired of it. It's really... Right. It's like I said, it's that affirmation from audience people. That's why I do it. Yeah, I mean, sure. It's, uh, for me. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if every musician is, li- I don't think every musician is anywhere close to that because if they were, they'd be paying more attention to what they're doing. Well, you'd think. Yeah. I mean, it, well, I, I don't know. I mean, I've met some other friends of mine that don't, don't dare go do gigs, you know, that I've known in the past. Like, I'm not going to do a gig. Oh, screw that, you know? And I'm like, well, so why is that guy doing that and people are actually gigging? Well, I mean, there has to be a little bit of care about the audience or else you wouldn't go do a gig. You know well, what I mean? It's motivation it's, could be the It's money, the money but, but still, I mean, if if your motivation is money, then you go work at UPS, you go work at Cerner, you go I mean, then you go go, go make money. Except you, you know what I mean? You have like, this talent of playing an instrument. Right, you know, right. But I know for me, I mean, even though we're, we're at a different kind of mentality with with gigging but i gotta admit i mean i like being on stage you know what i mean Uh, i'm sure a lot of these guys that that maybe maybe wonder if if because because it is kind of a a drug in a way sometimes you know you get on stage and you get that that affirmation and that that feeling of everybody's i mean there's a massive amount of attention situation there you know but you're not gonna get Working at UPS necessarily, no, no. and it, it it is a high, it is a drug, but, but it's a, it's an acceptable high or yeah, right. acceptable drug. I mean, yeah. people go, man, that's great. I mean, mm-hmm. it amazes me today. You know, I run into somebody and they're like, oh, you play music? Mm-hmm. It's like, wow, you know, mm-hmm. like doesn't everybody play music? Yeah, right, yeah, you know. know. And, well, that happens because we all hang out with a lot of musicians, so we all think, well, of course you do, and of course, you know. and not everybody does. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I guess. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm not as addicted to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wish I was right. more addicted to <laughs> you know being on stage more, because that way I would be on stage more. Yeah, yeah. But I have other things to do too, other interests, yeah. and uh, 
but I, I wish I had more of that. Yeah, you know, that fire. Like, hey, I need to be doing this every every night, right. and uh, it just hasn't happened. Not that it ever won't happen, mm. but I know through my limited experience, it just seems like kind of like a synergy thing. It seems like when the ball gets rolling, it goes and it just happens without. Right. It's hard to force it. Yeah. yeah hard yeah. to force right. it. And uh, but again, I, I think it always just comes back to a marketing thing. Mm. I mean, if you got the product. And you should be out playing a lot more. But unfortunately, people just don't know. Yeah. Well, one one thing that has been really uh, has been really funny for you as as opposed to me because I haven't I played for a long time, but I haven't gigged in a long for you know for a really long time. So I don't have too many really crazy stories to tell. Well, and I know yeah. that you, over the years you well, you kind of talked about. I know you. Uh, you talked about that one, uh, that one gig where uh, you were playing on the the pickup or something. Or well, the, it, it, well, you mean the trailer one? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I, uh, and this yeah. is a real quick story. There's a rodeo out in the middle of nowhere, small, little small town rodeo, and they brought in a flatbed trailer, like you know, semi trailer, you know. And uh, what I didn't realize is, you know, those trailers, mm. the bed of them are chest high you know maybe even come up to your neck and uh they uh so we had the whole band on there and we had uh they had the trailer which was great for us to play on except nobody brought any kind of ladder or <laughs> a means to get onto the trailer so we had to like use the tires to try to climb on to get up there and so you know our clothing you know after getting up and off stage during breaks and whatnot all had like you know, tread marks on us. And then we asked at the time, we the drummer, who I don't even know who it was, but I remember, I don't know who it was, but I remember what it was because he's, <laughs> kind, of, he's kind of a heavy set fellow. Mm. And uh, he had, he was struggling. And so it took like two of us to lift him on to the, the <laughs> trailer. So this hand was kind of right underneath his rib cage and this hand was well right underneath his rear. And we'd have to lift him up. <laughs> And he managed to come down okay. I remember yeah. that. So, uh, but that was really fun. But no, uh, then. And what? And what was the lesson for that? Well, the lesson is, if you provide a stage, you must have the means to get onto the stage. <laughs> <laughs> and little details that yeah, people don't think about. Minor. Yeah, little details. So that that I, was a. I saw a Facebook post the other day, and it was like. It reminded us of our ping pong table gig, you know, where they put the ping pong yeah, table on. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we have a stage. Yeah, yeah, I, know exactly. I, yeah. I don't know if you've seen that one, but like there, there is a stage, and there is this like wrapped up, you know, terrible extension cord. Cool. They're like, and plenty of power. You yeah. know, we have a stage and plenty right, of power. Right. And you're like, oh, great. well, you know, people don't know, and uh, yeah, that's a great point. Musicians just won't play, mm. and. They, yeah, you know, they put us on a literally a ping pong table. Luckily, they took the net off. <laughs> but they and it kind of for this. But on the we grass, played this gig right? several times. Right, yeah. and it's kind of been a running gag because they brought the ping pong table. We played on it several times, and they get a huge laugh out of it, which is fine. Yeah. Uh, but they don't know. Right. I mean, uh, a four by eight sheet of plywood wouldn't even hold a drum kit. Right. Yeah, right <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, well, I know you had another one, um, another like kind of, kind of major league uh, fight 
Remember the one at the, they were, they, uh... Oh, yeah, the speaker, bar fight. I mean, that, that wasn't really funny, though. Right, it, yeah. It, it was. I mean, but that was a crazy uh, gig, right? Yeah, it was uh, Bar in Aletha, and uh, we probably played too late, you know. Mm-hmm. One o'clock in the morning, we're tearing down. The rest of the band had left. I'm just there with the bass player. And we used one of the monitors to prop the door open so we could move the equipment. A bar fight broke out between all these... 21 and 24 year olds mm-hmm. and uh, one of the you know participants in the fight walked out the door and grabbed my monitor and threw it and chucked it you know 20 yards and so I'm like well, I can't let that go down and so I go out and confront him in the parking lot and I kind of knew uh oh of course he's twice my size and his <laughs> two friends with him that are twice his size yeah. and I knew this was not going to end good and uh, well, the long and short of it is that uh, the police took them away mm-hmm. and uh, but that was kind of a learning lesson you know when your mom says hey nothing good happens after midnight mm-hmm. that's true yeah. and I don't like doing till one o'clock in the morning mm. gigs. I just don't like it. Yeah. Mainly because I don't like being that tired. Yeah. Because we still have to drive. Right. And, and tear down. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I'm working during the day or, you know, I got yeah. other things going on during the day and I just, you can't get on that sleep schedule of right. doing that. So that's one reason I really try to refrain from doing, you know, one o'clock in the morning gigs. Right. And that was another probably good learning experience too is that, that I think all of us need to understand just even talking in general is kind of looking at that situation and go, yeah, this is my monitor, you know, but is this, you know, is this worth getting into right now? You know, even conversations sometimes need to, people need to stop and go like, this guy is saying idiotic crap right now. Is this even worth going after and putting him in his place or whatever you think you're going to be able to do? And I knew I wasn't going to be able to fight him. I knew that. But after the police kind of resolved the situation, they came back and found me. And they said, hey, do you want to file a police report on the speaker? This mm-hmm. speaker's worth 50 bucks. Yeah. Right, right. And it, it was banged up, even though I'm still using the speaker today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it survived it. But Hey, look at that corner. <laughs> and I would have, I you know, said, oh, yeah, absolutely. You know? mm-hmm. But this, this bass player at the time, real nice guy. He's kind of an older guy, a lot more experienced. He goes, hey, don't do it because the guy who I'm going up against or, you know, possibly, you know, uh, filing a police report against, he's going to have my information. Yeah, yeah. And do you really want him to know mm-hmm. who you are? This is this is before Facebook or right. cameras but or still, anything like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, And looking at this guy, my guess is he rough character. Yeah. And... For me, it's just a $50 speaker. I'll survive. To him, that's another three days in jail. Yeah. And so I thought, so I didn't do it. It's kind of maybe the wrong way of doing that. I think think it was a great example. But karma's, I I believe in karma. I think this guy, my guess is he's, you know, he did find somebody that would, (laughs) he'll file a police report. Oh, sure, yeah. I know that we've talked a lot, too, about, even a couple minutes ago about the kind of drug of being on stage. Well, definitely we always joke about, you know, kind of drunk musicians and even, even musicians that have trouble with drugs and stuff. I know I, I thought, uh, 
I remember you you were talking about one story of a bass player and he, his, his wife came oh, to like God. just all of us have had to deal with that before of musicians that's a, and like that's a great story it's kind of long I'm trying to think of a way to abbreviate yeah. it but essentially I went up playing with a, a bass player one night the bar was the bar itself was hilarious because basically it was kind of a new bar, but all the decor was taken out of the Long John Silvers that apparently closed <laughs> down. So you go in there, and it was supposed to be like a country bar, but it had like I don't know, it looked like a Long John Silvers. And it was like everything smelled like malt vinegar, and uh, so it was kind of a surreal night. And so the we did the ba- we had the band there, and it's nine o'clock getting ready to start. And there's no bass player, and finally this guy who obviously on something walks mm-hmm. in the door and I'm like that's our bass player okay <laughs> and so I asked the other guitar player I said because he knew this bass player I said is, is this guy any good and he goes I'll just wait till you hear him and so we started playing horrible I mean it was <laughs> <laughs> it was horrible and so uh, he his girlfriend at the time had dropped him off this bass player off at the bar and so and I, I didn't. I wasn't paying attention. Well, I had to ride home with the bass player because we mm-hmm. actually gave him a ride home, and we dropped him off at the at his girlfriend's car. She worked at the Walmart overnight, mm-hmm. and so we dropped him off. And the idea was he's supposed to go get in her car and just go to sleep. Mm-hmm. And when she gets off work at seven a.m., they she'd drive him home. You know, worked out really well. Except we dropped him off, and he may or may not have gone to sleep. But at some point, he decided, hey, I'm just going to drive home. And so he drives home. Well, and there, and so this girlfriend walks out of Walmart at 7, 8, 7 a.m. after working all night and gets no out car. to the parking lot. Her car's not there because <laughs> she's got some idiotic bass player boyfriend. <laughs> and so she was scrambling for a ride just before Uber or anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I always just thought that was really funny. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, the, so how many of us have done that gig where it's like in a Long John Silver's, you know, pretty oh, much. Oh, yeah, you know? that's I mean, really... Just crazy gigs like you know, that, that, you know. It always kind of goes down to uh, the Blues Brothers. You, right. know, you got Chicken Wire on a stage. Well, you can't make that up. There, mm-hmm. There's some bar out there that mm-hmm. had Chicken Wire on a stage. Yeah. But no, I always thought, you know, if they made a... Another Blues Brothers movie. The bar should be like a, a Long John Silver's. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, that was funny. And, yeah, that, that, I hate to, that may have been fifteen some odd years ago. I know the bar was. I, I believe in Osawatomie, Kansas. Mm-hmm. And I was driving through Osawatomie about a year ago. I couldn't find it. Yeah, I have no idea. It's probably who knows. They probably tore it down. Well, um, Long John Silver's probably wanted their stuff back. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, that's crazy. And yeah. then I know the the other one you were talking about is uh, like you were joking right at the start of this of too much equipment or whatever. Yeah, that's another funny the band story. Ride. Yeah. Well, this one's kind of bittersweet because the, this we just this may have been the first band I ever tried mm-hmm. to put together. We were all pretty bad except we had this lead guitar player. His name is Jerry Shaw. And Jerry's a family friend, super nice guy. He he was a Leonard Skinner aficionado. Mm-hmm. He knew Sweet Home Alabama. Not only did he know, you know, the four dun dun dun, he knew the other two guitar parts. I mean, yeah, he, yeah. he knew he knew how to get the sounds and everything. Mm-hmm. He was very very good. The problem with Jerry was that 
everything he played sound like Leonard Skinner. So <laughs> you, you, you know, uh, if you played Mary Had a Little Lamb, yeah. it came out and sounded like Skinner. Skinner Little Lamb. Well, Jerry, of course, he had the band. We got a gig <laughs> at, at a, a wedding. And I'm still friends with the people who got married. It's hard to believe. And uh, we uh, were so excited, you know, to get a gig. I think it actually paid, you know, $30. And so Jerry had the band, and so we had all our equipment. And the band's just piled with equipment, just stuffed. <laughs> Well, there's only two seats. Right. So Jerry's driving, my brother who's in the front seat, and of course, I'm, me being the youngest, I had to ride in the back. Well, the only way I could do it was to lay down on top of the amplifiers mm-hmm. across the, the bed of the van. So basically, I'm laying down, the amplifiers are all different heights, so my body's all <laughs> contorted, and the roof of the van is like right here. <laughs> and I don't know, that's what, 150 mile drive <laughs> one way, and... Uh, uh, but because it's your first gig, I mean, I would have drove in a thousand right, miles, right, yeah, you know, sure. like that. So excited! I remember we get down there and we only know five songs. I mean, really not good at all. And I didn't know how to memorize words at the time, so I actually had the words written out on large poster boards. So the the poster boards were all over the stage. So I would go sing the songs like I'd move the mic over to that poster board, <laughs> and so I could look down and read the poster board. And uh, so we did it. And I remember we were there, and I'm sure it was very loud. And people are like, "My God, this band is horrible." And I remember this one guy. It's kind of rural town Chanute, and uh, this guy I think in a big cowboy hat came up to us and said, "Hey." you need to play something we can dance to. And we're like, okay. And so the, uh, the, the song uh, Tuesday is Gone by Leonard Skinner, kind of a slow dance song. I think we played that song 15 times. That's the only thing we can play that was slow. And uh, uh, then I rode back, on, rode back home another 150 miles sitting on top of those amps. And uh, I would like to say I'd do it again. Probably not. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, but unfortunately, Jerry, the guy who owned the van, was a great Skinner guy. Passed away mm-hmm. at a really young age, and really sorry to see it because he mm-hmm. he. Uh, but I learned a lot from that because I kind of learned how to. Unfortunately, that band kind of broke up in the wrong way. Mm-hmm. I knew we weren't any good, and I had to go find other musicians. And as opposed to being forthright and saying, "Hey, you guys, well, you guys suck," <laughs> I didn't, you know, I, I think I just kind of quit. I, that was the wrong way to handle that. Again, if I would have had a mentor, you know, he, he, he would have said, make sure whatever you travel in has a seat. And, uh, but also how to, how to fire people, too. Mm-hmm. Fire is not really the right, right word, but say, because with musicians, everybody's at different levels. And you can play with somebody for a while and you kind of realize, hey, you know, it's just not what I call gelling, where you mm-hmm. guys all, yeah. you know, it, for whatever reason it works, sometimes it doesn't. And, uh, it's always hard to tell somebody to say, hey, uh, you know, it, it's been fun, but you're just not quite there. Uh-huh. And how do you say that? And who am I to judge? Uh-huh. But it, it, you can't move past it. Uh-huh. And so that, that's very, very difficult. Well, so, so you know, we're probably pretty close to wrapping up here. Uh, but like uh, on that on that topic, I, I asked started asking this with a lot of people on the show that trying to trying to just ask people like what their deal breaker is in a band 
And a couple of examples is like somebody falling off the stage for the third gig in a row because they're too drunk. That's obviously, you know, kind of a deal. Which I've never really... Well, I've, I've had and that. That's, an, that's sorta, an extreme yeah. example, but, yeah. but that would be one but that That's everybody, a real example, though, because that's... Yeah. yeah. And then you have another guy, and I've used this before, of the idea that, you know, you... You like the guys, you're getting gigs, the money's okay, the, um, and you like 47 out of the 50 songs, but you hate these three songs. Is that enough to quit the band? I would say probably not. You know, that's not enough of a deal breaker at that point, at least for me. I need to kind of just kind of suck it up. I don't like these three songs, like freaking tough. But for you, like you were just saying about the, is, is it like the talent of the people or is it like, what, what is well, it for you? I guess it kind of breaks down, is the juice worth the squeeze? Mm -hmm. Which I think is a great way to Yeah. Uh, well, I like to play with people that I enjoy, you know, just hanging out with. Mm -hmm. uh, but they got to, what's the deal breaker? Oh, that's kind of hard to say, mm -hmm. you know, because uh, it, it kind of changes. There really isn't this, you know, I guess the first deal breaker, you know, if you can't tune a guitar, <laughs> I'm not going to sit around and try to work. It's kind band. of a baseline of it's ability kind of baseline. Yeah. You know, I always use tennis as an analogy. You know, you want to play tennis, you have to have somebody else to play tennis against. Mm -hmm. You want to play with somebody that's as good or maybe even a little better than you. So that way you're hoping that your game will come up to theirs. Right. Well, if your game doesn't come up to theirs... Don't be surprised when they say, hey, I don't want to play tennis with you anymore because yeah. they're looking for somebody that's as good or maybe a little better than them. And right. So you kind of have that in, with musicians. But there's a lot of other factors other than uh, being able to play music, you know, being good at your instrument. One is, you know, what you've been real good about is availability. Mm -hmm. You know, you yeah. find guys who have other hobbies that they like to do. They don't have... Uh, they can never do gigs. They can never do gigs. Yeah. So there's more than just that. So you're looking for the perfect scenario. I will say this. Kansas City, as big as Kansas City is, if I, there's a lot of things I would do different. But I could see, you know, one reason, you know, people would say going to Nashville. I mean, the one reason that kind of justifies that a little bit is you may be in an area where you have just a lot more musicians to choose from. Mm -hmm. And so you may find that compatibility, uh, but there's no lack of bands. Bands break up for all different kinds of reasons. On the big scale, it's usually you know probably money is my guess. Mm. But you know on our level, it's just somebody has a kid. Yeah, right. Can't play yeah, anymore. You know, play, and yeah. that is a fine, fine, it's a reason. legitimate reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. you got to be very flexible. But you know, there there'd be a lot of deal breakers. Yeah. I mean, it'd be probably an endless list. Everyone's wanting to just get lucky, you know. Mm -hmm. you go, hey, you know, we all get along. Uh, we have the same musical interests. Yeah, all those dozens of. We've heard like Bernie Toppin and Elton is a perfect example. That was just a. It was just meant to be. I mean, they just clicked, and I know uh, Duke Ellington and Billy Ray or Billy uh, Strayhorn was another example of a duo that that just clicked and it just worked. Yeah. And even some of these Aerosmiths or Fish. Or, you know, there's just been some bands out there that have just clicked and then they accidentally stay together for 30 years because it just worked. Look, and can you force that, you know? Well, I don't know if you can. Great examples there at Clapton. Isn't he in, like, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame under, like, five different bands? <laughs> yeah. That kind of tells you he had problems with, you know, mm. not necessarily problems with the members. Maybe he didn't like the music they were doing. He wanted to do something different. Well, he 
basically found success mm-hmm. maybe five diff- four different times. I can't remember what the count is, but that's a pretty good example. Yeah. But even on our level, even though it's not the Hall of Fame, yeah. it's kind of the same thing. You want to do things different, mm-hmm. you know, like the way it's going. And it, the important thing, I, I think most musicians are pretty good about it because it's kind of like a brotherhood, is not to have a whole lot of animosity Put things in perspective. Yeah, you, this is not uh, millions of dollars. This is uh, things happen for multitude of reasons, and I wish I was yeah. better at. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish I knew what I wanted before I ever started bands. You know? right. This is the direction I want to go, and I yeah. still haven't done that because you're trying to appease everybody. You're trying to make mm. it kind of a democracy. Uh, very very tough to do. But yeah. I know some guys too that I've heard one deal breaker for them is the, uh, and I talked about this with uh, Greg on our second show when he came on here and we were talking a lot about uh, the direction of the band being kind of a deal breaker for some people, maybe not for you, but others. They're like, dude, I want to do something. I don't want to sit in the basement for 60 That's rehearsals right. and then finally get to a gig, you know, and then, oh, gonna, yeah. oh, whoops, we didn't ever get to a gig. Sorry, but we did 60 rehearsals anyways. You know, it's like, and I know some guys are really, you know, and like you, like you said earlier, some guys don't care about that on purpose. I don't need to gig. It's not on my priority level, but some guys are like, I'm just, you know, and I, I always joke about, like for myself, a little egotistical, but I'm like, I always joke that, Okay, so I've been playing 30 years. So these trenches, like when do these trenches end? Like 40 years in, 50 years in? You know, when do I get to the... I was just joking with oh. myself of like taking free gigs and stuff like that. You know, like, okay, so when do all these, as a young guy, go through these trenches, right? Well, when does the trenches end? After You mean like paying their dues? It's sort of like that, but also, you know, getting into a band where they finally make some money and finally do something. You know, I was well, just kind of being a... a a brat a little odds, bit, but you know, I'm just like, wise. When, when, you know, when does, does, is it 50 years in, you know, when I finally like make some well, money or, you know, like, I hate to tell know. you odds wise, yeah. it's, it, it's, it's a moonshot. I know. But what else would you rather do? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if, yeah, I would like to say, you know, if nothing gets a, a accountants, mm-hmm. but you know, I'd rather be a multi-millionaire accountant, or would I rather be poor and play guitar? Mm-hmm. Well, obvious, I'd yeah. rather be an accountant. So yeah. Yeah. that's that's <laughs> the tra- that's a trade-offs thing because that's what we're a lot of musicians are willing to take that trade-off. You know, well, we're, we're willing to go like, man. But I know. think in the entertainment industry, and I, I really think of music is the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. And I think of football as an entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. It the is. cream rises to the top. The best ones who have the best talent rise to the top. Football, you know, for only one out of a thousand ever, you know, most college players will never play professional football because right. they can't get to that level. Most musicians are really like that too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I could never play being a band for a, a famous person because I, I can't even read music. But I do know there's a home for me, and there's a home for every musician, whether it's down in your basement. It's always tough. I mean, yeah. If I had the answers, I, I'd write a book and sell a million copies. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I don't yeah. know if I can read. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool, man. Um, well, I definitely uh, wanted to 
wanted to say publicly that it was really uh, it's 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 been really fun to play in your band. And of course I, I, it is. You know, yeah, I wouldn't expect anything different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's but definitely there's there's been a I and and really maybe to end this that I thought that was really funny back to your it just clicks kind of thing, um, I think you you, uh, I got your ad or you found my ad or something on faith on uh, Craigslist and we we got together with a little rehearsal and Notable. it was 20, 20 seconds of much too young and we're like okay there well it is, you know yeah, there it you is know. you know i mean we figured it Musicians out musicians have that ear yeah but it really kind of comes down to you know personalities and luckily everything just kind of gels mm-hmm. you know but you and i we don't hang out together you know socially mm-hmm. in any capacity and that's okay you don't need to matter of fact it's kind of a better way it's of doing better. it yeah. because you, you don't get tired of it and i still there isn't there really isn't any anything I don't like about doing this. Mm-hmm. I wish it was easier. Yeah. I wish it kind of, but yeah. you know, I wish that synergy kind of, because it's much easier doing other businesses. Like in my other business, it, it, it rolls on You mean just rolling the gigs? You yeah, mean that synergy I, I wish that. it was yeah. a little bit easier, yeah. but it's yeah. tough. You got a lot of musicians, you got fewer places to play based on the amount of musicians out there, yeah. uh, it's just it's just harder. Uh, but you know, you see all these you know other groups have success, and you're going, well, you know, at least you keep trying, right. and uh, you know maybe just keep pushing. Mm-hmm. That's one area I wish I was better mm-hmm. at. But I've always thought about the symbiotic relationship between the uh, between the you know, Jennifer Lopez is of the world and then her backing band. And I think you and I have been kind of like that in a way where you're a really good front man, but you need a soloer with it. You know, oh. it's not enough. And nobody wants me to do a gig because it's just a violinist standing there. I need a front, I need a band and a front well, man. It, so it's, to me, it's, it's the perfect, same way. I go out know? my guitar and sing songs, but to me, I can only be entertaining for so long. Right, right. So, the more so it's, been, it's been a perfect... to provide you know, more entertainment. Right. But I think Jennifer Lopez has it right, though, as far as success. She hires everybody else. So right. they're essentially on a salary. Right. So if she doesn't like the way, you know, right. somebody's hitting the note, it's right. her way or the highway. Yeah, but I mean, just yeah. like her by herself maybe is not, I mean, she's a, a good performer, et cetera, but she can't, you know, she goes uh-huh. into the studio for six months and then they fix all of her crap, but nobody cares about those studio guys and they need her as well because nobody cares about random bass player Z, you know, it's like, and so like, <laughs> I, I just say, you know, I just think it's been really cool that that a lot of the, a lot of the things I need, you have, and the things that you need, yeah, I have, works, you know, it's, yeah, and it's yeah. been working really good. That's that how you way, do it. That's cool. exactly, and you, uh, yeah. you're trying to, but a lot of that's just for my own entertainment. <laughs> I love a violin because I love a violin. Yeah. It's just a great sound. I like it personally, and I thought, well, if I like it, mm-hmm. other people are going to like it too, which yeah. is true. Uh, yeah. Yeah, cool, man. All right, well, uh, Scott's getting blinded here. So yeah, I getting blinded. Uh, I know I got turned. I, th- I think we're uh, use a partition between the window to block <laughs> out the sun. But cool, man. Well, uh, anyway, come uh, come check us out. Dirtgrass Canyons, our band name. Uh, this has been uh, Scott Lane. Hey, Thanks, man. Always a good time. Well, actually, it's the first time I've ever done this, and so this is a uh, this, this is a lot of fun. And uh, lose my phone number. Lose your phone number. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, all right, get out of here. We're done. Yep.